Hour two, kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Sam, tell us what we might have missed last night. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, In some news, uh, the Baltimore Orioles have officially sold. Uh, John Angelos has agreed to sell the Baltimore Orioles uh, to a group led by uh, David Rubenstein uh, and the Carlisle Group. It's a couple... uh, a couple private equity billionaires that is uh, this team's getting sold to now. Um, shout out, shout out to the Orioles owners, yeah, for doing what I said last week. You don't want to spend money, sell, sell the team, yeah, because the Orioles have a good core right now, right? Like Great they're one core. of the best, promising, most promising baseball teams. Like this team, this new family that bought them, this new group, if they pump some money in and help. Like that could be a World Series champion, right? Like they they won a hundred games this past year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, they they're very good. Uh, took a long time, but they're good now. And the other thing too is uh, having Cal Ripken involved, like a baseball an Oriole guy. I think will you would like to believe he's going to be whispering in their ear, like let's let's get this, let's get that. Um, Do we think that that's like going to be the role he's in? Because I. I don't know if Cal Ripken's been like in any front offices or doing any baseball work, or is he just kind of like, hey, Cal Ripken's a part of the ownership team. He's an advisor. He owns like point zero 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 zero. You know, we're we're, pay- we're basically paying him just to be a, a liaison between us and the fan base because, hey, trust Cal Ripken. We bought this team, but we're one of you now. Like, I don't know if he's is he making any decisions. Doesn't say. Okay, but. But yeah, like that. Uh, just having that name attached is going to make Baltimore Orioles fans feel good. But that the Angelo family didn't want to spend any money. They wanted to be cheap. I don't think you should own a sports team if you're going to be cheap. Did you see what they made? Did you, did you see the difference in like what they paid versus what they sold it for? On the bottom line, I think it said they bought the Orioles in 1993 for 170 like $5 million. Yeah. And they just sold them for $1.725 billion. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it just, just sell the team. There are people that will buy it. You can cash out. You can retire. You can do all these things. Don't run it like a nickel and dime organization. Cash out. Because if the Orioles can sell for $1.7 billion, that makes me think that like 80% of our major sports leagues, their franchises are worth at least that. Now, hockey, I don't know. But like baseball, basketball, football, you can sell and get at least over a billion dollars for almost any franchise at this point. Yeah, the Orioles have not ranked higher than 27th in opening day payroll since 2018. It makes me sick that the Angelo family gets to cash out and make all that money, to be honest. Like, it, yeah. it truly does that they've been able just to sit on their asset, sit on their asses and their asset, <laughs> not really do much. And then it's like, yep, this, this asset is going to appreciate tenfold. And we're going to cash out. We're going to be billionaires. I'm sure they're already billionaires. We're going to get $1.7 billion after spending no money for 20 years. Well, their new ownership's taken over at the right time. Like we just said, they had a successful season last year. Um, the, the, their farm system has been absolutely stellar for a little while now. And those players are starting to rise into the franchise. And... Um, it's a good time for them to do this. It's a lot of money, but uh, and I think baseball's better if the Orioles are good too. They Absolutely, had, they yeah. had such a great tradition till the last fifteen twenty years when they were definitely and also ran for a long time. So I, they're I, back. I gotta say, when you read the details, though, it's a little morbid. Did you see the way they're structuring the deal? 
<laughs> they're only selling 40 they're only buying 40% of it now and they're waiting for the the dad or I guess the grandfather Peter Angelos I guess the the the, the patriarch of the family or whatever they're waiting for him to die How because old is he? because the way like I guess the taxes work out like they'll they'll save a bunch of money if they sell it after he dies it's interesting so they're like hey here's 40% of the team and once pops dies we'll give you the rest do they have his age I, I don't know. He's got to be. I mean, is he on like life support? Like what the hell's happening? I don't know. But yeah, like it says, the Angelos family's interest in structuring the deal around Peter's death has to do with the potential tax hit. Should the Orioles sell while he is still alive, it would cost the family hundreds of millions of dollars in capital gains taxes, a number that would decrease if the team is sold after his death. The tax burden has been a critical part of the family's thinking and talks with potential buyers. So even as they're making one point seven billion dollars, they're still being cheap. They're still nickel and diming. I hate that family. <laughs> but like you said, great time for them to buy in. You get to follow a team that wasn't spending any money. If you just get them into like top 15 spending, fans will be like, oh my God, finally. Owners that care. Now in baseball, spending money doesn't equal wins. Just ask the Mets. But as a fan, you still would rather have an owner that would spend versus wouldn't spend. Spending money with good prospects is a, is a good recipe. Well, I was yeah. going to say, now... You know, I would hope the thinking is they're going to invest in those uh, young guys who have risen into the franchise rather than let them walk because that's what had been happening before. They just would develop players. They'd be good. They'd leave after a couple years whenever they were available to leave. And, you know, that's not a winning formula, clearly. It does say that Peter is incapacitated in recent years and that the son's been running the team. Uh, the son apparently in a lawsuit got accused of having plans to move the team from Baltimore to Nashville. Well, yeah, yeah there's there was a lot of talk there for a while that they weren't going to renew that lease with yeah, Canyon they're, Yards. They're, they're stuck in or staying in Baltimore for yeah. a while, so like the Nashville stuff's dead. But I didn't realize that they had been linked to Nashville. You always just hear like the Rays or uh, expansion team. Yeah, or the A's. The like, Rays and the A's yeah. is all I'd heard. Yeah. All right, next story. Uh, next story here, the PGA Tour is finalizing an agreement with Strategic Sports Group, uh, basically a group of a bunch of different billionaire sports owners to infuse $3 billion uh, into a new for-profit entity, PGA Tour Enterprises. Uh, so this is a little bit strange here as well because this is basically like Fenway Sports Group, kind of this this investment, but also apparently the PGA Tour is – continuing their negotiations with Liv that kind of, you know, earlier in the summer had seemed to be in agreement on something and then kind of things fell through. And then now they've got $3 billion coming in from another, you know, American investment, but now they're just still investing with Liv. I don't know what the financial situation of the PJ Tour is, but at this point, like, they have to keep the Liv relationship because, you know, 10 of the best 30 golfers in the world are there. I mean, I don't know what the exact number is, but they got a lot of good guys there. Like, they, they can't really have these tournaments that feel like they matter. Like, Rory said the same thing. Rory's like, you know, I kind of want golf to get back together, and I don't want the players punished that went to live, and, like, these PGA Tours don't feel the same, and their events don't feel the same. Let's just all get back together, guys, as he's stuck there, not making hundreds of millions of dollars. Rory's such a loser. He, he really has just, like, he, I, it bothers me that he took such a strong anti-live stance, and then now that the deals have kind of started to merge back together, he's like, ah, oh, this kind of seems all right now. Well, he has no choice. Yeah, and but he, like, he, he just got stuck holding the bag, or the opposite, he got stuck with no bag. Everyone else got 
to hold the bag full of lots and lots of money. And meanwhile, he just got paid nothing for his loyalty. Except they're like, yeah, we'll let you do that Tiger Woods, like, whatever league that is. Yeah, well, that's felt, that's collapsed. <laughs> oh, that's dead? Well, that, that's... it was supposed to go on, and then the arena in which they had built for it literally collapsed. Okay. Yeah. Do I still have plans to try to do something? I or? think so, but it's kind of you know it's kind of up in limbo because a co- like Tyrrell Hatton was committed to that TGL thing, but then, then he, he went to live, to live, and so now he's out of it. And I think Tiger kind of wants all PGA guys on that on that TGL thing. Local golf story as Caleb's is it Surratt? Is that he says name? Yes. Yes. Caleb Surratt, Tennessee golfer, stud, stud. ends his college career and officially signs of live. He's going to play on John Rahm's team. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the teams, people like people don't really care about the teams, but it is nice that he gets to rub shoulders with one of the two or three biggest golf stars in the world that's good for his career. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the fact, what, we got Pebble Beach this week, mm-hmm. and, I mean, it's going to be an elevated event, too, with winnings. I mean, PGA's coming out swinging. They need to, uh, but that's a great way to – I know they had farmers last week, but it's like this really marks the beginning, in my mind, all the big names are there. This uh, will be the pro debut of the uh, of the Dunlap kid from uh, from Alabama as well. Right. This will be his first tournament as a professional. Yeah. So yeah, there's some some exciting stuff going on. Uh, into the MLB, uh, Justin Turner, former Red Sox third baseman, has signed a one year, thirteen million dollar deal with the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, more of kind of a, a a DH role, I would say, for the Blue Jays. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a guy who's who's always been a consistent bat, um, you know, and and has been a guy that has provided a lot of stability in it's his time in, in LA. Is. And too much, too much Justin Turner. <laughs> okay. It's not baseball season, Sam. Forgot you're not a baseball guy. Well, though. I mean, I like baseball good enough, but it's January 31st. So Justin Turner, I don't. Do you want to hear about NFL players not being able to bet in Vegas? That's the story. They're not allowed to bet in Vegas. They're not allowed to even go to the casino, right? Like they're yeah. saying, you can't stay out of the casino. Why can't they play a little roulette? I was reading, actually, like Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football, NFL Network, which is owned by the NFL. He can't go into casinos. Really? really? Yeah, while he's in Vegas. I mean, they yeah huh. they they stand firm on that stuff, man. No, no, I don't care about that either. You told me the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It does dumb that they're not allowed to go out there and just do anything. But also, seem... like, the teams probably don't want them to anyways. Like, hey, stay out of the casinos. Thank, thank you, NFL, for making the rules easier on us. Like, stay out of trouble. Don't go in there. Like, I guess the idea is, like, if you get to drinking at the casino and gambling, next thing you know, like, you've potentially taken out some markers and you've lost $80,000 in, in craps. And now maybe, like, you are more willing to throw the game. I don't know what the reasoning is why they're not letting them gamble in Vegas, but some big NBA news last night, though, as Joel Embiid left with uh, a knee injury. Going to have to get an MRI after leaving that Warriors game. He limped off the court late in the fourth quarter, so. Maybe he's actually hurt. Well, he is now. Yeah. He is now, or at least they're going to stop and run an MRI on him. They're banged up. Maxie's hurt, too. Yeah, yeah. But if you're them, for better or worse, it just matters what you do. And in April and May in the playoffs, so coasting for a little bit in the regular season might not be the worst thing for them or Embiid. We'll talk Tennessee football after the break as the NCAA tries to show some teeth. But Donda Plowman says she's the dentist. I'm going to knock them out. Pull them out.
We'll dive into that after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Good morning in Halls. They're wrapping up an accident right now on Norris Freeway right at Emory Road out there near Halls High School. It's got traffic tied up pretty good there. All right, let's talk Tennessee football as we were once again in the crosshairs of the NCAA and once again front and center in the national college football news landscape. Notice of allegations, inducement accusations, private flights, private jet flights for Nico. Bob, what do you got for me? Well, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's pretty well chronicled. This broke yesterday afternoon. Um, the the key words here, you know, was NCAA is investigating someone affiliated with Tennessee, not employed by Tennessee. Spire Sports. Spire the, Sports. The collective at Tennessee, the NIL yeah. collective. Um, and, uh, yeah, for breaking rules regarding NIL payments to athletes. Um, what we also know now is, uh, you know, Donde Plowman, her, uh, she sent a letter to the NCAA that was in a word nuclear. Um, she, she threw down and, and I think obviously as Tennessee fans, we're fans of that, but I think it's, it speaks to a bigger issue with the NCAA. And I think a lot of people in the NCAA, or I'm sorry, a lot of colleges, and athletic programs are watching this one closely because I think everybody's got the same level of exasperation with the NCAA. They've decided to try to come in and govern. It's almost like the par- parents that try to break up a high school age party where the you know there's been booze for hours and hours, and then you come in and you know say, "Hey, stop, stop drinking." You know, it's like you 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 try to shut that stuff down at the in the early going, and you know, NIL's been in play for multiple years now, and now the NCAA decides they want to get involved, and um, we're seeing it happen. It happened with Florida State a couple of weeks ago. There's the deal going on right now with the University of Florida. Um, <clears throat> in some ways, it's a little bit existential for the NCAA too. I think it's like they're. I think they're. I, it, it feels to me like some of this is almost like, in broad strokes, kind of like job protection for them in their mind, or at least some of the people there. And that's uh, wrong-headed if that's the approach. Yeah, and your analogy, the parents also have a fully stocked <laughs> liquor cabinet with yes. all the mixers you could ever want, and they got the the coconut rum and the other, the Smirnoff, the, the flavored White Claw vodka, all the tasty stuff that the high school girls like drinking and all the stuff that's easy for the high school boys to drink. And they got it all right there, an ice Oh, they got an ice maker. They got a lot of plastic cups. They got all that just right there in front of the high school kids, too. And they're like, hey, we're not saying you can't drink it, but hey, you know, we're not watching. Yeah. We're going to leave you alone in this basement. We'll be we'll be out of the house for a bit. Yeah, and then they come back later and go, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, st- stop. Stop. You we, know. We gave you all the bottles. We gave you everything you needed. We had some, uh, you know. Ping pong balls and plastic cups for you to play some beer pong if you wanted, but we're going to ask you not to do it, even though we said that we never said you couldn't do it, because that's what you know 
that was Tennessee's defense, and that's Tennessee's what Tennessee's defense and the rest of the country's defense is going to be as the NCAA retroactively tries to go back and punish schools for rules that weren't in place. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, some of the language, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen Donde's letter. It was floating around on social media, but um, some some definite solid and strong legalese, you know, uh, quote, factually untrue, procedurally flawed, intellectually dishonest. I mean, she she threw down and reminded the NCAA that UT had efforted to meet with them in December to discuss the state of things. The NCAA passed on that meeting. Um, not even sure they responded to the request. It said they were denied. Yeah. So I, I, I assume they responded and said no since it said denied rather, rather yeah. than just said didn't respond. You know, I liked I liked just the stuff that, that she put in bold yeah. in the letter. Just yeah. to kind of be like, hey, in case you missed it, here are our big takeaways. Here are our big points. We owe it to student athletes and their families that have clear rules. You didn't have any rules. It was the Wild West. The NCAA owes member institutions a spirit of partnership and problem solving. A.K. like we tried to talk to you. We tried to get a meeting. We tried to ask you to make some rules. Other schools have asked you, hey, we need you to be a little bit clear on what we're doing here. And also she went out and was just basically like, hey, by the way, you can't say six months ago that I was the best wife you've ever had. I'm the best lover you've ever had. You love me. I'm so good. I do everything right. And then come around and say six months later that you've always hated me and that I don't do anything right. Because that's essentially what the NCAA tried to say. And in her words, you said she said, you can't say six months ago that Tennessee was the was cited for exemplary leadership and being like a a a school to follow in terms of how they handle the way they do their business when it came to the Jeremy Pruitt stuff. Like Tennessee got credit for doing everything on the up and up, self-reporting, doing all of that. The NCAA praised them and said, Hey, this is a school everyone needs to strive to be like. She said, you can't say that six months ago and then turn around and say that like we don't have any institutional control and that <laughs> right. we're doing all this and we're doing things the wrong way. Make up your mind. Do you love me? Am I the best ever? Or have you always hated me? Which one is it? It's true. And, and you know, we, we talked last week on a totally different topic, but we were talking about the, uh, the level of game that our administration has at this point between Boyd, White, and Donde. And think about this uh, just yesterday, maybe honestly frustrated for sure, but a bit proud of the level of her response, the promptness of it. Imagine the previous regime trying to handle things like this. It just, again, as much as, as we can be, I feel like this university's athletic program, the university at large, is in good hands with these folks. Um, I, I, I just, that, that was a takeaway for me yesterday. Well, too. in the past, they would have said, we're taking this seriously and, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll keep you updated on our findings or we're not going to speak on it publicly. Whatever the yeah. hell they would have said, they wouldn't have came out on the offensive. It would have been all reactionary of, well, yeah. We are cooperating with the NCAA <laughs> yes. and blah, 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 blah. No, this time Donna came out and said, you know, here it is. We're not wrong. We're right. Nobody at our school has broken any rules. Nico's done nothing wrong. The NCAA has been dishonest. You know, that's straight up calling them a liar. 
Her last thing in bold was, the NCAA and member institutions owe it to the public and all stakeholders to be intellectually honest. So that's her being a member institution, letting the public see, like being honest with the public. Like, hey, here's here's our response. Here's everything laid out. The NCAA, on the other hand, is being intellectually dishonest by saying we're doing things wrong, <laughs> by, by trying to retroactively put in rules and try to to hold on to any crumb of power that they might have had in the past because is it the Austin case, I believe is what it was, the Austin case, when, when the Supreme Court and Brett Kavanaugh and, and all of them kind of came down and said, hey, the NCAA, your days are numbered. You're breaking these antitrust rules. What you do is kind of illegal. Once that opened up, the NCAA at, at the time just kind of washed their hands and said, okay, NIL, here you go. Good luck. And that's how schools operated. And the, and the power went back to the states. And in California, by the way, what Nico did with his contract and taking his money was not wrong. At the time, Tennessee has since adopted similar rules for high school prospects. What was done was not wrong. Yeah, and, and then another bit of subtext from yesterday was uh, Spire Sports. They lawyered up. They brought in this guy, Tom Mars, who is... Uh, a renowned uh, attorney that has gone to war many times with the NCAA, um, big name. I think he's based in Arkansas. Um, so he, he did a lot in terms of the students trying to get eligible on right. their whenever the NCAA is declining their their waiver transfers and all that. Right? Yeah, correct. But I think that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, too. And our guest in the 9 o'clock hour is going to talk about this because um, we're bringing in a person that um, – essentially runs not an NIL collective, but uh, but a, a company that manages a, a ton of NIL money um, just to get their perspective on uh, some of the ins and outs of all of this. And again, can NIL and the NCAA effectively coexist? Um, because right now it feels a little fractured and the NCAA seems to be making that making matters worse in that regard. But the reason why I think it's interesting for Spire to make this kind of move, and I say this with all due respect, I think what we're learning, too, is the NIL game in general is getting – it's it's very sophisticated. And NIL is, is less about what kind of, um, like, creative partnership things can we put together for student-athletes. There's, there's a lot of legal ramifications tied to this. And you need probably more legal points of view than maybe some of these collectives have had in the past. It's been more of a, hey, let's put something together and let's get one of the athletes out to, you know, tout milk at Weigel's and we'll give them some money that way. And it, there's just, there are bigger deals than that. Nico's one of them, obviously. We've, we're right in the, the, the spotlight when it comes to that particular deal. And it's, it's bared itself out in this situation, too. So I think we're seeing a moment in time where it hits home for for a collective like Spire that this became more of a maybe more of a big boy situation than you think it is in the past. There's a lot of money. You'll hear this from our guest Jason Belzer today. If you look across the country, the amount of money that's flowing through NIL is uh, it's pretty eye popping. Well, and also like it was always going to be like, I don't want to say a wink, wink deal, but like 
you knew you were kind of playing with fire in the sense of like signing high school prospects to these deals and and I understand that Spire Sports is going to say, hey, we didn't break any rules, and none of these contracts were based on Nico coming to Tennessee. But, like, you're also signing with something called the Vol Club. You know what I mean? Like, the Vol Club is going to want that guy to – they're going to do deals with Tennessee athletes. Unless I'm mistaken, I'm unaware of the Vol Club having any any partners with anybody that's not a volunteer. So, like, I mean, I understand it's like kind of a wink-wink thing, but at the same time, that's on the NCAA – for having what Donda Plowman says, no guidelines, no plan. That's for the NCAA for what Brett Kavanaugh said was wanting to just take advantage of players, not pay them any money, not treat them like employees. Like this all comes on NCAA's, uh, it comes on their head. You bring it to their doorstep and it's a lack of planning over the last decade. Because I think the tide really started shifting, you know, back when what Northwestern's quarterback started trying to get a union together. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that was kind of whenever people were like, okay, this is coming one way or the other. And then you had the O'Bannon case with the NCAA and, like, you know, like, hey, yeah, you can't really put these guys in video games. You can't use their likeness. We know who quarterback number 16 from Tennessee is. We know that's Peyton Manning. You can't do that. And, like, that ball got rolling and you knew, like, okay, the momentum's growing. The public sentiment is changing. You're going to have to pay these guys. And then the NCAA is just like, nah, we're good. We're just going to keep staring straight ahead or looking down at the ground. Or maybe looking behind us in the rearview mirror and not looking ahead of us. Maybe that maybe that's a better analogy. And then it gets here, and the Congress and the government says what you're doing is wrong. So the NCAA has no plans. It's like, okay, well, we'll wash our heads of it, have at it. And then they realize, wait, if we don't govern, we're completely useless. We have no, we have nothing else to bring. So now let's try to govern stuff in the past retroactively. Let's try to make this plan now. Instead of having a plan in place, like I said, when they've had a chance over the last 20 years. And that's why I think there's, again, I mentioned earlier, I believe this too, there's so many institutions that will be watching. They've been watching for the last few weeks with some of these other cases that have come up. Because you think about the way we've all talked about it with conference realignment, how the NCC, NCAA rather has been rendered ineffective um, if this happens again in this type of instance, I mean, you start looking at, there, you know, there's a, a term of uh, a business going out of business. Um, I mean, you could be seeing, I, I said it earlier, I don't think it's uh, under overstating it, that it's it's a bit ex- existential for the NCAA and um, how they're going to handle this one. Well, they've already handled it poorly, is what it's sounding like. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. It's it's interesting. Tennessee is kind of in the spotlight right now, and uh, a lot of people watching. 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in on the topic. Sam, send us a break. We'll come back. We'll still look at the big picture here for Tennessee Athletics. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles, here's Eddie Garcia. In the NBA, five games on the schedule, highlighted by the Celtics beating the Pacers 129-124. Boston now league best 37-11 and on the season. Warriors beat the 76ers 119-107. Steph Curry, 37 points for Golden State. Philadelphia star Joel Embiid returned to the lineup after sitting out a few games with a knee injury, but he appeared to re-aggravate that injury, left the game, and did not return. He's going to have an MRI later today. Knicks won their eighth straight, beating the Jazz 118-103. Hawks over the Lakers 
138-122. L.A. now under 500 on the season at 24-25. and And the Raptors beat the Bulls 118-107. Top 25 college basketball, 11 ranked teams in action. We had two top five teams go down. Number three, North Carolina losing at Georgia Tech, 74-73. Number five, Tennessee falls at home to South Carolina, 63-59. And a battle of ranked teams, number 25, TCU beat number 15, Texas Tech, 85-63. A brand built in Tennessee and born from the love of the game. Inward Half revolutionizes golfing comfort. Crafted by a former pro and dedicated enthusiast just like you, our luxury performance wear guarantees you stay cool and comfortable through every swing and every day. We're not just a brand. We've set out to create a lifestyle for those... been thinking about going to the dentist don't put it off any longer you made your resolutions to be healthier to take care of yourself that includes dental health and january is not even over yet it's too early to be breaking resolutions it's time to start getting with them contact knoxville smiles today at 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment they handle anything you could need dentally Restorative procedures, veneers, implants, Invisalign, and get some straight teeth. You can take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art facility. It's over in West Knoxville. You can do that at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff will take good care of you at Knoxville Smiles. So, Bob, what's your level of concern? You're a smarter man than me. You have a better idea of of procedures and and corporate structure and all these things. Because, personally, I'm not really worried about the NCAA and this Nico situation. And I think Tennessee showed that they're going to fight. And I don't think that the courts are going to side with the NCAA on almost anything these days. So, I would be like a three. Maybe I'll say I'll be a 13 out of 100. Where are you at on the concern scale? Pretty close to that. I, I'm I'm not that concerned. It feels more like um, just a, a frustrating nuisance, um, and I want to hope that the, that it remains that way. But um, the biggest issue is you you hope that it doesn't become a distraction to uh, the progress that the universities had in its athletic programs. Um, so yeah, I, my my level of concern's not that high, and again, that's more of a commentary on where the NCAA actually is situated in terms of their legitimacy right now. I I just don't think they have much of it. Um, so yeah, I I would agree with you. I'd I'd score it very low on the concern meter, uh, particularly after again after what we saw with uh, Dundee's response yesterday. It was fast. It was. Um, it was very, very blunt, and I, I, again, I feel like this university and its athletic programs in pretty good hands. And and again, the fact is, the key point at the very top was it's not university employees. It's it, so there's there's just too many there's too many holes in this, in my opinion. Yeah, you talk about it being a dist- potential distraction, or you know maybe slow some momentum for the front office, or the, I guess the the leadership at Tennessee. I kind of think it's the opposite. I, I think it's galvanizing. I mean, I think you saw Plowman get a standing ovation and a loud cheers last night yeah. at the game when she came out. I think it raises her stock. She's a rock star. I think it gives Tennessee fans 
more confidence in their leadership. And I think it also galvanizes the fan base and rallies them around to like this team, around Nico, and against the NCAA. Yeah, you saw it on social media. I mean, for the fan base, it feels like Donde's like almost legendary now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, between this and the Jeremy Pruitt stuff, I mean, it, it'd be harder to be more popular than she is yeah. in a leadership position. I mean, typically, leadership at Tennessee has not been necessarily a good thing, right? Like, it's not yeah. been something that people have liked. It's been a punchline for as long as I can remember. And now you kind of have that three-headed monster of of Danny White and and Boyd and plowman that you feel good about all three all three facets you got a phone call over there sam yeah we got jeff on the line let's bring jeff on jeff thanks for joining the morning show the floor is yours uh well i was gonna say uh i don't know what you're at with with the tennessee situation but uh he, that leadership was real good last night in thompson bowling wasn't it you got to come to rep saturday pal so let's come and see if you can get some of calipari you couldn't be oh no calipari we're so we're so afraid of calipari oh we're so afraid by the way kentucky lost to south carolina too see ya oh we're so afraid of calipari oh no the guy that all kentucky fans want fired Jeff, how are we going to handle Coach Cal? Oh, no. I think it's hilarious how Kentucky fans were were all up in Tennessee's business last night after they got 20-piece themselves. They've they've lost to South Carolina twice in the last year. Um, They lost to South Carolina last year when South Carolina won, what, 11 games? Was he saying Coach Cal has never cheated? By the way, look up UMass. Look up Memphis, Jeff. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, it does suck that we're coming off of a loss when it when it, when it comes to the trash talk. We did lose to South Carolina, who also beat Kentucky, but you know, home and a, home and away difference. But no, no one's afraid of Calipari except Kentucky fans. Was that a real voice? By the way, it felt like maybe it was. Be a... sweet, Bob. Some people, some people, you know, get it out of the mud. Some pe- some people have lived a long life and. And, and, and drank a lot of coffee and smoked a lot of cigarettes in their day. And, you know, it takes an effect. <laughs> That's pretty rich, you saying be nice. Be sweet. <laughs> yeah, be we, sweet. We both can't be mean. I, yeah. I'm the mean one. You be sweet. Yeah, okay. Fair <laughs> you, enough. You don't get yourself down in the mud. Or you could be mean and I'll be sweet. <laughs> it reminds me of, of our mayor, Kane. One of my biggest childhood memories was whenever he had a, a inferno match with Stone Cold. And he said that if he lost... He took his little voice box because at first he didn't have a voice because he was supposed to be burning a fire, so like he didn't talk for a long time. The first time he ever spoke, he said, If I don't win, I'll set myself on fire. <laughs> he <laughs> should the first he, blood match. He should have used that as a presser when he was mayor. I know. <laughs> I know. Been, uh, that would have been a good thing. I would like to ask him, do you have any connections? Can we get him uh, on the line? I just want to ask if he remembers that specific <sighs> moment because it's, it's one of my core childhood memories. The first time I heard Kane speak. I've met him, but no, no yeah. connection there. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing if he remembers that. But yeah, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. I will be interested to see what the spread's going to be on that game now. It's going to be close to a pick'em. Think so? Yeah, it'll be within two points either way. After the loss, Kentucky might be nudged to be a favorite. Yeah. But it'll be close. It'll be within two points. One, I'd say it's going to be one and a half either way. I'll, I'll probably at this point say Kentucky minus one and a half. But I just, I also don't know if they'll give Tennessee plus money. So, like, I mean, it's, 
I think it's going to be as close as you can be to a coin flip. Well, and it's that's presuming Kentucky takes care of Florida tonight, too, which isn't necessarily a given these days. Coach Cal never cheats, except those two times where he got in trouble and you know had a Final Four at Memphis taken away, and then you know the UMass thing with Marcus Camby. Yeah, when we were in our um, winter weather spaces vibe, um, I think I made the mention then because we were talking about Nate Oates, has he become more hateable than Cal? And I said, I, I think so. I, I actually have... I'd grown to respect some of what Cal's doing, but after I heard that, now I, I just lost some. Uh, back to square one. Yeah, man. <laughs> Jeff just took us back to the beginning, and uh, that's, that's bad news for him. I'll be honest. It didn't have much of an effect on me. Just because Kentucky basketball, I don't, I don't want to call them a joke, because that's not accurate. But, like, they're just another program. I mean, they're rivals. I want to beat them. But, like, we're talking about big bad coach Cal. You mean the guy that that's going to lose in the first or second round of the tournament? That guy, the guy that you know has got basically a—is it still under five hundred record against Rick Barnes? Yeah, it is true. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, Coach Cal doesn't scare me. So he's like, "You got to come get Big Bad Cal." Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that's a Kentucky fan that's speaking positively about Cal. I, I've heard nothing <laughs> yeah. but negative stuff mostly. That's why I'm not really buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they don't even believe what they're saying. <laughs> they don't believe what they're saying. <sighs> they know that's not. They know they're nothing to fear. Now, I mean, playing at Rupp's going to be tough. I get that. I understand. But it ain't because of Coach Cow. Anyways, what were we saying about Plowman? Legend. Yeah. Legendary status. <laughs> the the three headed monster of leadership is good. Yeah, I just think galvanizing the fan base. I mean, it's going to be it's us versus it's us versus the NCAA. Yeah. It's us versus the NCAA, and you know if Tennessee can be the the premier school that fights them. That's what I'm saying. If she's the one that takes down Capone, so to speak, you know, I mean that's that's how she'll be viewed if the NCAA recoils on this at all. And they may. I don't know. I mean, you, you look back to, again to this Florida State deal from I don't know a month ago, and they ended up settling, and it was a pretty nominal. I think what there's some assistant coach that has a three game suspension, and I mean there just wasn't much to it. But what was the deal with their collective that they had to do? I thought I saw something where it was like they they're not allowed to work with their collective for like a year. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's exactly like all NIL deals are off the table, but maybe that's you know kind of like your main source of of getting these guys deals. But I'm sure there's other players. Well, I, I don't, I don't. Was Florida State was Florida State retroactively as well like from the from the you know a long time ago, kind of like the Nico stuff was before the rules were in place. Is that what they're getting? Florida State on four. I think it's all well? retro. I think it's all retroactive. Right. You know because. This, yeah, I I think the answer is yes to that. It's the same kind of case with like Florida and the Rashada kid, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, that one. I'm just looking back at the Florida State piece again. There was an assistant that was suspended for three games, and then uh, Florida State received two years of probation and temporary disassociations from a booster and a, and from a collective. Yeah. but I mean that's slap on the wrist type of thing. Yeah, it it is. It is. Um, well, thank God the NCAA got involved, right? Like, give me a break. Um, if anything, it's just going to set themselves up for another L, is what it feels like for that, me. Yeah. Like, I understand the last gasp at power, but also at the same time, it's like, why put yourself 
on the line again. Why put yourself on the line again, especially against a school that you know has money, uh, against a school that you know is going to most likely fight you over this. Like, football is too important for Tennessee to get hit with the whole repeat offender, now you're in trouble thing. Like, no, lawyer up. I keep wanting to add a curse word at the end, like uh, like Andrew Garfield screamed in Social Network when he's yelling at, at Zuckerberg. <laughs> lawyer up, jerk. That's essentially what we're telling him. I don't know how that went for him in the movie. Did he end up? Uh, he ended up losing with his lawyers too, right? So I, yes. I also don't want to make that comparison. <laughs> I remember like when they got there, like, he, he didn't do very well. The other thing too is we as fans. Okay, we as fans think back to when the whole Nico Iamaliava thing came into play, and um, again, I, I had some proximity to this one too um, with the family and other things, but everybody was questioning, you know, $8 million. Whoa, wait. Okay. What's happening here? So my point in all this is now it's coming up again, the level of uh, retroactivity that's happening with the NCAA on this. Uh, again, I think there's nothing to see here, but the fact that they're trying to pursue that when again, most lay people would have looked at this while the deal was getting talked about, in back channels and everything else and said, man, it feels like a lot of money. Hope we're doing okay with it. It's like, where was Inspector Clouseau then? You know, yeah. I mean, this How is a year gone by. Right. I mean, more than that. Right. Right. I mean, it's uh, it, this, this spring, it'll be two years. And I, I just think that it speaks to a, an organization, a governing body that has no juice, at least on this topic. Um, I, I, I just don't, I'm not, not too worried about it, honestly. And I'm not, again, that's where we're going to get a, a little more professional point of view at the top of the hour at nine o'clock. But, uh, you know, so we're, we're giving our points of view, our opinions on it, but that's, that's how I feel. Tennessee can pay the billable hours. Yes. I don't know if you saw the news last week or two weeks ago, but $220 million Tennessee brought in. <laughs> They can pay the billable hours. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll make the NCAA uh, spend a lot of time on this, too. At the very least, let's wrap it up for a couple years. Let's get this tied up for a couple years. Let's enjoy our Nico years, at the very least. But, yeah, like if anything, it's just going to rally the fan base against the NCAA. Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. It. You just know that Pat Forty and his grubby little fingers couldn't couldn't hide his excitement as he's typing out this story yesterday that was like 800 words of just like, yeah, something's coming for Tennessee. Don't know what it is. Somebody from the NCAA has tipped me off, but I don't really know exactly what's coming. I'm Pat Forty. I got grubby little fingers. <laughs> yeah. I had an encounter with him at SEC Media Days in 2015. And it wasn't even with him. I was near him. And he was telling someone, he was talking trash about Tennessee. And was basically like, you would think that, you would think, it was about Tennessee being excited about making the switch to Nike jerseys and it came around like the same time. And he was talking about, you would think these rednecks had just won a championship the way they're acting. Like, basically, like, these guys are so stupid for caring about these, ath- these jerseys. And at that point, I was like, man, this guy just really doesn't like Tennessee fans. 
to like be sitting there like just mad that fans are enjoying something. So, literally, take out the fact that he probably gleefully was dropping this uh, NCAA story yesterday. I'm looking at one of his posts from uh, last night, and he wrote, So, Saturday is the best slate of men's college basketball this season. We were talking about this yesterday. Houston, Kansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Duke, North Carolina. And then he wrote, Except Tennessee lost tonight at home to South Carolina. And then he wrote, and UNC just lost to 9-11, to 9-11 Georgia Tech. They're kind of killing the mood. I mean, he you can just tell he's just reveling in this stuff. You well, know? at least they included North Carolina in that for yeah. killing the mood, I guess, instead of just singling out Tennessee for losing. Which, I mean, he's not wrong in that. Like, them both coming off losses does take it down a bit, but also makes those teams more desperate. I think Pat Forty is just a name in this position. This could have been written by two or three other national media guys, and we'd have the same reaction. You know, Dan Walken or... A Jeff Goodman D- now. Jeff Goodman, a Dennis Dodd. <laughs> I mean, there's there's plenty of people that seem to to revel in the fact of Tennessee... or re- revel in the face of Tennessee misery or potential demise. Keep in mind, Pat Forty wanted us to play in an empty stadium after the, the, the mustard bottle golf ball Ole Miss game. That was his big take, is that Tennessee should have to play their next game in an empty stadium. I never saw that. He yeah, the school that. should be have attendance wow. suspended. Zero percent attendance. Punish these rednecks for th- daring to throw a golf ball in a mustard bottle. Sounds like attendance at a ladies' swim meet, right? Be sweet, Bob. But you're right, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Women's Swimming. Yes, he, he would be comfortable with that. <laughs> But, yes, he, he has an axe to grind when it comes to Tennessee. Like, I think that's clear. He maybe is the worst perpetrator of it in the national media. And maybe it's because, like I said, I heard him put down Tennessee and Tennessee fans just in person off the record to his other cronies for some reason. And he was total, uh, again, I have friends who are Kentucky fans. He's total Team Patino, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, not a not a Cal fan. He, he loves Rick Patino is he a Patino fan like just through and through because I, I guess I would have thought he was a Louisville fan was he well because I think it was based when Patino was in Louisville right but yeah. now that like Louisville doesn't have Patino anymore just did he just like disassociate with that school yeah kind of it was just yeah. only with Patino he still recants all his stories about Patino mostly and yeah which is funny like yeah whenever he talks about scandal and everything like yeah. knowing that he's a Patino boy yeah yeah it's one of those things I asked you about last week when it came to like the Titans coverage, and like, am I looking for it? Am I thin skinned? Like you say the same thing about Tennessee fans, and like I, I do think there's something there when oh, it comes yeah. to national media versus Tennessee, and like it got magnified and multiplied with the Greg Schiano stuff, but I think it was there before the Greg Schiano stuff. The Greg Schiano stuff made it worse with a lot of people. Oh, I agree. I, you know, and I remember, I was thinking back to this, Dick Vitale, who we, we talked about yesterday, but this is on a more, um, like, professional note. He, uh... Professional people have to poop too, Bob. I know. But he, he made comments on air back when uh, Tennessee was, the whole issue with how they were treating Conzo Martin, you know. Yeah. Yeah. was very, very critical of the fan base. You know, that was tied around the petition and all this other stuff. So, you you know, I mean, national media is definitely uh, thrown down on the Tennessee fan base often. Uh, and, and Tennessee is an institution or an athletic program, too. 
I mean, Dana O'Neill compared Dave Hart to Judas. <laughs> that was something she wrote. She compared Dave Hart celebrating with Conzo Martin during his Sweet 16 run and then, you know, having this happen, having him leave, not offering him a better contract. She compared that to Judas betraying Jesus. That was something she wrote. I remember it. Conzo Martin was treated like he was an elite college basketball coach. And like Tennessee fans were just being racist rednecks because they were daring to question why a team with three guys that would go on to at least have some some time in the NBA, why they would be struggling to make the tournament in year three. Tennessee was racist for, for daring to have a couple thousand people want their old coach back, who was the best coach they had had in you know recent basketball history. Like that, that was kind of the image painted, which, by the way, Conzo was the one that left Tennessee. And that was us getting what we deserved. That was what was written. Like, Conzo leaving to go to, to, go to Cal was what we deserved. We, got, we reaped what we sowed. We deserved it for, for daring to, to hold a coach accountable for not winning enough games. Like, we're the only fan base that does that. Which, by the way, Conzo went to Cal and failed. Went to Missouri and failed. Not coaching basketball anywhere now, is he? Uh, no. So, I mean, like, you're kind of vindicated on that. He wasn't a very good coach. No matter how bad they wanted you to think he was some elite basketball coach, he wasn't. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not new. It's been happening a long time, at least since I've been, you know, doing media and, and paying attention to this. I don't know how it was in the early 2000s. And how they cover Tennessee then, I'm not sure. Well, I think it's it was different. And a lot of that's because a, a, a lot of it now gets amplified sure. with social media and other things. And, uh, you know, that's even back in the Conzo era, there was a there was a pretty big component of that. So, yeah, I think it was I think it was less intense back in those days, but just because there were less avenues to flex that kind of information sure i know there's some people screaming at the tv talking about espn stealing the heisman from peyton so i mean well like, that's true people would say hey, it's been happening in the 90s and and you had you know on game day is it reese davis talking about going back to your trailer parks and all those things and <laughs> you, you had that so yeah there's some people say that it's been going on for a long time I remember Dennis Dodd talking about Bubba from Pigeon Forge. And he misspelled Pigeon Forge. When he was talking about us being mad about Greg Schiano, about Bubba from Pigeon Forge complaining and protesting. and That's what they think about. It's just dumb rednecks. Never mind the fact that you got a guy sitting here that created, you know, radio, te- television broadcasts as we, as we see it now. Well, I was just going to say, they say all of that, and then ESPN, who played a big hand in that, you – air the Paul Feinbaum show every single day and you see um, yeah. kind of the epitome of, uh, of redneck activity there. But What's promoted there? Yeah, they, they're, they're begging for redneck activity yeah. with, with Feinbaum. So. Yeah. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three talking to an NIL specialist. Who we got, Bob, coming up? Jason Belzer, um, gentleman out of New York that is uh, founder and CEO of an organization called Student Athlete NIL. Uh, an attorney, adjunct professor in sports business law at Rutgers, uh, accomplished guy, and, and 
pretty smart guy when it comes to this topic. And I think there's some through lines with what we've been talking about and what's going on with NIL. That's coming up next. Stick with us.